0: Oh, Robbie. Oh, Robbie's not Kyle. Okay, just kidding. Kyle was also her boyfriend, who was a <laughs> model in the Christmas episode. So you're still right. Welcome to Who's That Girl, a New Girl podcast. I'm Kritika. And I'm Kelly. And we're two long-distance best friends who bonded over our love for TV and brought you this podcast to recap one of our favorite shows, New Girl. And today we'll be discussing Season 3, Episode 9, Longest Night Ever.
1: This episode originally aired November 19th, 2013, and it was written by Ryan Coe who last wrote for Season 2, Episode 19, Quick Hardening Calk," And the director was Nicholas Jasinovich. And this is the only episode he directed for New Girl, but he is mostly known for directing movies like Paper Heart, Sounds Good to Me, and Alternatino. And he even had a small acting role in the movie Superbad. In The Longest Night Ever, Coach asked Cece on a date and Jess works to distract Schmidt. Nick lost Winston's cat, Ferguson, and they found themselves later at Bertie's house. So a lot happened in this episode, and it really had a lot of different pairs and couplings of who was hanging out with who. One of the first, though, is Nick with Winston. It really kicked off with Winston trying to be a little more open about what he wanted to do and go out with human women which Nick was so excited about it was
0: nice to see both Nick and then Jess when she understands it supporting Winston or at least being really happy that he's taking this interest because he and Ferguson were definitely getting a little bit too close with the fact that they took a shower together and that's where Winston had the realization that he needs to go out and meet more women which was also really great to see But of course, he couldn't do that until Nick agreed to watch Ferguson for him. And I I didn't understand this whole dynamic. Like, I didn't realize that Ferguson was so taken care of by Winston that not a single person ever interacted with Ferguson. And honestly, we do see him outside a lot in the cat carrier. And I wonder if that's because Lamorne was allergic to him. So they tried to keep him away or in the carrier as much as they could, but It was really interesting that that was his stipulation and Nick coming back and not wanting to even hold the cat at first or watch Ferguson. Like it was some really big effort.
1: Well, and I thought it was just a little silly too how Winston even needed someone to watch his cat. Like clearly Winston was very invested in Ferguson and we know that through the many last episodes that have introduced Ferguson. But it was a little silly that Winston didn't feel he could leave the house for- A couple of hours without having ferguson be watched and obviously we know too that once winston comes back he sees that ferguson got out because nick left the window open that in my mind i'm like couldn't winston have left ferguson in the carrier or just in his room with the windows shut with the doors shut and just told people not to go in his room then like ferguson would have been fine What you said just actually sparked another question for me because
0: Winston goes to work every single day. So what does he do with Ferguson then? Does he take Ferguson to work with him? Or does he just do exactly what you just said and probably leaves him in his room with the door closed so that he doesn't get out? I didn't think about this too carefully in the episode, but 100% agree with you that there was no need to have the cat be watched for a few hours. It wasn't like a day or even
1: like – Overnight or anything. Maybe I'm just being a space cadet, but what is Winston's job right now? Is He's not a radio show person.
0: Yeah, he's still that producer of radio shows. Like, he's not the jockey anymore that works uh, the night shifts, but he's that producer, which we haven't seen any updates on that since, like, the Christmas party of season two where we all went to all the different Christmas parties.
1: That's right. He asked for the promotion and he got it. So that's when they forget to tell us details about Winston i forget to remember them so <laughs> i don't <laughs> i don't know what happened there but really too i think this winston storyline invited a lot of questions for me in that even when winston returned ferguson was missing he i guess instinctively knew ferguson was missing just because he didn't show up when he had called for ferguson and so then when he deems okay ferguson must have gone out the window The right thing to do at that point, obviously, was to go look for him. But how they looked for him really made me think because they were trying to figure out who should go with Winston, which, okay, to your earlier point of Jess and Nick watching Ferguson together, they both could have gone. Either one of them could have gone with Winston. But then also, like Schmidt needed to be watched. So we did know that we needed to contain Schmidt. But I had a thought too, where I was like, okay, Jess could go with Winston instead of Nick. So Nick could watch Schmidt, but really Schmidt could have gone with Winston. Cause that would have definitely kept him occupied. And Jess and Nick then would have been able to have the apartment to themselves and have their date night, just as they were originally planning at the beginning that got totally overwritten by Schmidt and Winston's craziness. Obviously I get The episode was trying to work out fun ways for like different people to be together, which it was kind of fun to see Jess and Schmidt have like a whole episode together because that's pretty rare. But at the same time, this Ferguson thing got real out of (laughs) real down the rabbit hole really quickly of the logistics with everything.
0: And you're talking about different pairings, but honestly, the four of them could have gone to that car together and looked together. Then they would have been able to keep an eye on Schmidt and keep him busy, and help Winston, but as you were talking, I was kind of thinking through what you said about the different pairings, and I think the only reason that they had to make it work this way is you had to see Nick's concern for Winston as his best friend, and hear Winston say that Ferguson is his best friend, and we've talked in the past about how Winston is neglected, not only by the writers, but by those in the loft too, and I feel like this is another place in which he's saying, my best friend is a cat that I shower with, because The only thing that's really changed for him is that he's out of a relationship right now and Nick is in a relationship. So I wonder if this was also something to kind of highlight the fact that Nick and Winston's relationship hasn't been that prominent recently because Nick's been with Jess all the time.
1: I mean, that is true. I feel like though, even in the past seasons, Winston and Nick didn't always have a ton of like friend time in the episodes. Because really Schmidt and Jess never really got paired up either. So this is like one of the first times we're seeing a pretty solo storyline just for Jess and Schmidt.
0: Yeah, I think the last one where it really came up was control, where we were exploring both Jess and Schmidt's control. And I'm sure there's others in between, but it's definitely not nearly as prominent. This whole scene leads to, like I was mentioning, kind of Nick expressing his concern for Winston, because they kind of have a heart to heart in the car there and of course it's okay to like have a best friend that's a cat even though Nick doesn't feel like that's okay but there is a line about showering with your cat and all of this like we were saying feels like Winston's just kind of looking for help and trying to find his way out of yet another
1: breakup which brings him to Birdie and before they even get to Birdie, I still have slight issue <laughs> with like how they even approach looking for Ferguson, because if the cat went out the window, wouldn't that mean that the cat would have probably injured itself and... I don't know, but I guess they have a balcony because remember Schmidt walked in from the balcony the other day, which then how did the cat even get off the balcony? Why didn't they look around the apartment? Why didn't they look on whatever balcony this is? Why didn't they go on foot around the building and see what's nearby rather than drive in their car and, quote, look everywhere? I'm just like... How how did that happen? They like are having this heart-to-heart, like you're saying, but then only thing that takes them away from that is Winston getting a text that somebody found him. And I have to say, I was like, a text from what? From where? From who? Because how did this birdie person that they end up at her house eating bologna sandwiches, how did she even have Winston's phone number? Because they never made reference to the fact that Winston put anything on the internet or a flyer or anything. And how quickly would they even have been able to prepare all of that? And they weren't even out looking for that long based on how the episode was progressing. So maybe I'm reading into it too much, which is very possible, but I, I kind of like got really annoyed more and more and more by the storyline because then when they do get to Birdie's house, that is just a weird situation it's weird. She's weird. I was like, I'm 100% with Nick here where I'm like, why are we in this person's home? I do not want to eat their food. I would like to leave. And I just was even more sad that like, this is what Winston was getting is he first had a weird creepy cat storyline for episodes. And now he's getting a weird, creepy pet lady, hamster lady (laughs) that they're drinking each other's medicine. And I'm just like, this is not what I'm here for. this is not my favorite New Girl content.
0: No, I totally agree with that. It's very, very weird. For the text, the best I can come up with, and to be honest, I had the same question, was that Ferguson's wearing a collar and Winston's number is on the collar because a lot of pet owners do put their number on collars. But I also made this assumption that Birdie lived in the apartment building but was in a different apartment, and that's why Ferguson really didn't get that far but now that I'm thinking about it I don't know that they ever said that I know they said something about him being found eating a raccoon's eyeball which unnecessary detail that we didn't need to know but either way whether she lives there or not I just felt like I agreed 110% with everything they said about the weird vibes and the baloney and pudding cup and I think everyone in the audience vibed with Nick, especially of just why are you still here? Like both of you should leave, but at the very least, Nick, you should leave because there's something going on. And while we don't like it, there's so many innuendos. This is just another attempt, I think, by the writers to just figure out what Winston's character is and leaning into the quirky weird more than anything else. Like you mentioned drinking each other's medicine. I have it all caps in my notes. Like is Winston drinking... Her stomach medicine. And we just had this whole conversation a few episodes ago about how Winston was talking about how we have to respect others' medications after Schmidt ate Jess's birth control. And here he is drinking her stomach medicine. Even down to the last makeout scene in this episode where they're together and just like aggressively making out, it was so weird to watch. And it was very much emphasized for being weird, which I would love to see more character be written for Winston than what we've been getting so far because I really need more because I love his character and I just don't feel like we get to see very much of it.
1: I think in a different episode, this same storyline, even with the weirdness that Birdie has, in an episode where there wasn't so much other slightly cringy things with like Coach or even with Schmidt, this might have landed differently. Like this whole thing, for me at least, maybe it would have landed more funny than cringy. But I feel like by the end of the episode with this, because the other stuff was also borderline cringy, this just seemed super cringy. And so I think it, it, it kind of has to do with the pairing of how they maybe took this idea of Winston finding Bertie with Via Ferguson and whatnot, and it just maybe didn't land the way that I'm interpreting it now. But that said... Schmidt's cringiness was a little more digestible because we all at least know and have the character backstory here to understand Schmidt was not going to be fine at all with Coach going out with Cece. No, he
0: made an entire peach cobbler, talked about making ice cream, but then didn't bring the ice cream over and just shoved hot cobbler in his mouth when he had something to literally make it less hot right there.
1: Schmidt's going to do him. It's all
0: good. (laughs) In the spiral that he's going down, because Coach asked CeCe on a date, when Coach asked him first, which I get in the elevator scene flashback that we see, it's clear that Coach is like pumping him up and then asking. But then later in this scene, once CeCe says yes and Coach comes out, I feel like Coach is genuinely asking Schmidt if he's going to be uncomfortable about this. And Schmidt's just trying to be a good friend more than like actually respecting his own feelings. And he just says yes. And it just puts him deeper and deeper into the spiral.
1: At some level, I think he was not only trying to be supportive to his friend Coach and what Coach wants, but I think also Cece. As much as Schmidt wants to get back with Cece and also wants her to be in his life and not in Coach's life... I think it is very much on his mind as well that he messed up and hard for him that he's not fine and what to do with that. Cause then we do even get this like really weird flashback. I don't know. I thought it was a little weird. I thought they actually took it in a very dark turn that like Schmidt went to sit on a stool and it broke essentially. And I just was like, what an embarrassing and dark flashback that is a little too much. And then it ends with him choking himself and Nick being there to try to like help the situation. I'm like, that's a pretty dark thing for Schmidt to do. And so I think in general, what that was kind of introducing to us is that Schmidt doesn't have many situations in life where he can't handle what's going on and he doesn't process it well. So I think part of him was like, yeah, he should have, the flexibility to go out with somebody else, even though I don't want her to, but then also not wanting it. So it's like kind of a conflicting spot to be.
0: And as far as him being able to process it, we also know by this point, he doesn't have the crutch of Michael Keaton either, because he used to have a moment where he'd have someone to go to in situations like this. And he doesn't have that anymore. And I'm sure that's made him even more vulnerable than previously.
1: I think that's a really good call out.
0: It just kind of puts things in perspective as to why he's in such a vulnerable place even more so than before. And Nick's ways of coping with him is to buy a dog cage. But the best part about that is Schmidt says, oh, did you buy the dog cage? And he's like, no, I didn't. And Nick is genuinely sad about this. And Schmidt's like, oh, that was the solution. Like, what were you going to do? Put Schmidt into a dog
1: cage and just have him sit there all night? I think literally that's what they were going to do because Nick's solution was actually confinement. And that's where he said, if you find a good dog cage, you got to buy that. And I just was like, these weirdos, these are two little weirdos (laughs) that are friends. And that is a interesting choice to make is to lock your friend up in a dog cage to do what's best for them.
0: (laughs) No, this is like some crossover with some werewolves stuff like someone's gonna break out and like become a werewolf that's where you see tv shows use dog cages like this <laughs> but no schmidt's gonna break up the date if he doesn't and he does start to bring it up and just basically understands where everything's going knows that they have to be there for him and just lets it slip that like oh we can have date night when we're married i don't know about you i literally gasped and then the way that nick let it go and didn't like prod her on this was either that he had too many people to take care of at that moment or like he was like yeah this is end game and I'm
1: okay with you making this assumption I mean you did see I don't know if it was really Jake Johnson in that moment but Nick at least heard her say that definitely knew what was going to be said and had a little slight smile and was like okay like well, we're going to just note that you said that, you know, like he didn't seem upset about it and or like immediately freaking out about it. And yeah, I thought it was crazy that something like that happened. And I also gasped. I thought it was like married. Did she just say married? Like that's what she was getting at. And he just let it go. I couldn't believe it. It gives me a lot of hope for them moving forward.
0: But meanwhile, Schmidt truly needs to be entertained. And the three of them are like sitting there watching something on TV and he asks if they're hungry and they say yeah. And he goes, okay, I'm going to go get us some food from the Staples Center and just jumps up. It was hands down one of my favorite lines of this episode because he's so determined to be with CC and conflicted like you mentioned earlier.
1: And just it's it leads to some really humorous moments though. It definitely did. But yeah, he definitely wants to be with Cece, but it's conflicting because it's almost like self-sabotaging on purpose because he could have just been like, oh, I'm going to go get takeout, right? Like it could have been really like, I'll go get us some food and have them be like, oh yeah, sure. Thanks Schmidt. But he's like, I'm going to go to the Staples Center where the <laughs> where they're having their date and go get the food there. I also thought too, so like at this time too, Winston could come in and, you know, Nick's going to go off with Winston and they're leaving. And so Jess is trying to distract him and keep him there longer. And she just tries to hit him. And it was not going to work out at all. And even Schmidt's like, that's really, that's what you got. And they both at that moment turn back to the door and they yell for Nick because they're like, okay, wait, we're not going to make this happen. Nick is seriously the glue in this loft because it's moments in the past have had Winston and Schmidt where they've been like, what do we do without Nick? And now Jess and Schmidt are going to be like, how do we how do we do this without Nick? <laughs> At least
0: in this episode, if not even more, he definitely was the glue. And in this season, a lot he's been really showing a lot of maturity and helping all of the other loft mates out, which is really fun to see. But that moment where they called for Nick was comedy gold because they both knew they couldn't handle it. Because Jess's way of distracting him is to perform a song and tap dance and read her yearbook. And when she gets started on the one that we do see, it sounds like this is not the first yearbook she's opened and read. How someone wrote, we both love lunch.
1: I don't know if I have any comments about her reading her yearbook (laughs) from so long ago, but I did love that. I don't know if you caught at the end of the episode, the song that they play is the song that she was trying to perform and like tap out for Schmidt. So at least that was helpful, I think. And maybe the producers of the show kind of knew that a little bit because that was not so clear what Jess was singing. And only at the end was I like, wait, these are Jess's lyrics. This must be this song.
0: No, it was cool to see that connection. And even the lunch actually brought up a big connection for me, which was in Valentine's Day when she tries to go out for a one night stand and she kept connecting. Her one connection to Oliver, who she went home with, was We both love lunch. So I'm like, okay, lunch has been your soft spot for years now.
1: (laughs) That's how you find some people that are just acquaintances in your life. And that's it. (laughs) That's a pretty cool connection. I completely forgot about that. But I knew exactly who you were going to mention once you brought it up.
0: (laughs) Exactly. But you know, what in this scene really stood out to me as Jess is doing her whole thing is Max Greenfield's face Because the way he plays this is to a T what I imagine Schmidt would be like because he's not leaving on his own accord because he knows he's not supposed to do this. He's trying to be what CeCe needs and a good friend to coach. But he's also so physically pained by the fact that CeCe and Coach are on a date. And you can read it all over his face where he's like, I hope Jess can distract me because I want to be distracted but this is not doing it for me and I need to leave. And when he just shuts her up and tells her how much he misses Cece and then ends up comparing the couch to her,
1: you could just see his obsession. That was the most disgusting, weird thing. And I was honestly like thinking it over and I'm like, how did this get past standards and practices? Because those couch cushions were definitely supposed to be like her boobs. And he's literally almost humping this couch. And you're just like, this is where we took this. Okay. And even Schmidt at the end, even Schmidt, which I think maybe is not exactly how he said it, or just the way it kind of sounded in, in how the sound came out. But it sounded like Schmidt said, that was the right move. You did a good, <laughs> like to like, get him off the couch and like pulled him up and to take him out. Because, that was, it was getting way too far. It was so weird.
0: He definitely said something like that because I think he recognized it too. The only thing I thought about during that though was how the entire loft has sat there. At the very beginning of the episode, Jess had said something like sex on the couch or something like that. And I was just like, this is the same couch guys that you're making out with. And it's no no Schmidt. I'm glad Jess pulled you out. I don't know how I felt about her idea, though. Like, I I agreed with keeping him busy, but I didn't feel like what he needed in that moment was to talk to someone else because
1: he was not even indulging it at all. That was her idea from the whole, from the beginning, though, because when Nick was like, oh, no, we need confinement, we need a dog cage, Jess was like, no, you need to have him move on. He's not going to stop obsessing unless he moves on. And so that's why I think she's like, okay, this Nick's idea without Nick wasn't working. So we need to do my idea while it's still with me. So they do go to the bar, the only bar. (laughs) And immediately they find someone who Jess is trying to like pawn Schmidt off on. But it is, this is where I was talking about where like maybe another cringy moment. I mean, this couch scene was a cringy moment. But this was another one where he goes to sit down with this woman only with the ulterior motive of getting Jess distracted so he can escape. But I just didn't understand this bar patron, honestly, for lack of better term, and why she put up with whatever charade was going on with Schmidt. I
0: don't know either. And I was also very surprised that, like, first, he said all these things to her, which didn't turn her away from him. And then he asked for a favor to know when Jess wasn't looking and Jess was being creepy and weird at the other end of the bar. And then when he does decide to leave or he's clear to leave, he kisses her and runs away. But to your point, she's not offended. She doesn't look like she's annoyed. She just looks confused as to like, what just happened? But it's a weird kind of view of it because you'd imagine that she wasn't just sitting there waiting for someone to – talk to her like that and then kiss her and run
1: my perspective is that if I was that girl I would have immediately gotten up anyway and probably not talked with him or whatnot but why didn't she like throw her drink in his face that's the kind of behavior Schmidt had in that moment it's like get away you know, like, I don't want you here, but I will say his line about the flip phone was quite funny where he didn't say that to her at least, but he's like a flip phone. She's either poor or a time traveler. And I'm just like, this bar is all about time travelers. I guess that's that's what comes into this bar is that I, concept of time travel.
0: I didn't even notice
1: that piece. That's really
0: funny to think back on all the little connections this episode has had to all the different ones. But I bet you and I are probably reading a lot more into it than the writers did when they wrote this. But it's still fun to find these moments. But he does run out of the bar and he's running to the Staples Center, stops in to buy chocolates because he's ruining a date. And (laughs) I just can't get over his interaction with the sales lady and how she's first just Casually packing up desserts for him And then when he asks specifically For something to say like I'm sorry I cheated on you Please don't sleep with my best friend She just gives him the blankest stare And then he just like finds samples He's like ooh samples And then the way he eats them It's just honestly the whole cast of New Girl Does such a good job like making us believe That they are these people But specifically in this episode I think Max Greenfield did such a good job of Schmidt I was so impressed throughout of his acting
1: Well and I just loved the story continuation too here where, he, OK, he's in that chocolate scene buying chocolates and then he's running still or like trying to get to the Staples Center and Jess finds him and goes, why are you running with all those pretty chocolates? <laughs> and You're just like, <laughs> OK, we're making a connection here. <laughs> and so Schmidt is trying to lay down the law at this point and be like, I will not stop. I will get to her, and the only way that I will stop is if you hit me with your car. And you're just like, this this, this episode is bouncing from cringy to absurdity all in one go. <laughs> we're, we're hitting all the all the pinball stops.
0: And then she actually does. She hits him with her car, and he's outraged. He's like, I can't believe you did this. And she does barely tap him. I mean, enough that if you're not expecting it, it is very startling. I'm sure. But it wasn't like something that was going to hurt him or anything. And he's truly outraged. And then a cop comes up and he she literally runs him over. And I was so worried for Schmidt
1: in that moment. I was too, which I'm glad like they did have to include him going son of a bitch afterwards because we had to know that he was actually just fine and not going to be like, passed out or like really injured. But then I also thought it was great that Schmidt was there because Jess was essentially trying to evade the police and drive away. It was going to be a police chase if she didn't hit him again. But yes, that second hit, the surprise second hit was the one that I know caught both of us by shock. And we, I know that I gasped even louder and than the previous time where I gasped in this episode and I truly was just like, oh my goodness.
0: It was absurd, as you mentioned earlier. And then the icing on the cake is they're explaining this to the cop and how this all happened because she cares about him and he's like, she's such a good friend. And that cop totally thinks that they're role-playing something together and that they are a couple. And that to me, it was also just so funny because... These two are not a couple. They're not trying to be a couple. In fact, they're dating each other's best friends, or Schmidt was dating her best friend, and they are not together. And that one moment in season one, the same episode, Valentine's Day, when Cece and Schmidt first got together and Jess went to Schmidt to hook up with him, it would never have worked out. And so, this cop thinking that they're together is so funny. And they don't like address it at all. They're just like, okay, whatever. And they just, you know, try to make it through the rest of the night. But it was amazing.
1: I mean, Schmidt was okay, which was important, although he probably wasn't as okay as the episode made it seem, even when he tried to threaten Jess to say, well, you're still going to pay for my hospital bills. And it's like, well, wait, you didn't go to the hospital, but ambulances and being on a stretcher probably still have bills associated with it. So I thought that was kind of funny that he ends up being just fine. So they just drive away anyway and like forget it even happened.
0: But actually, they may have gone to the hospital in between. Like, he may have taken that stretcher to the hospital. She would have followed and then brought him back later. I mean, we don't know. It doesn't really say anything. But I imagine there's some bit of time there, which could still have happened. Because at this point, Winston is still out. And we don't really ever see Nick again. We don't know where in the timeline. I think this is happening before Coach and CeCe leave. So we don't know how long there together before we see them again so maybe he did go to the hospital but either way I 100% think you're right that there's some fees associated with ambulances
1: and there's something to be paid here and yeah and that gets complicated because Schmidt did ask for it but then just did it accidentally but all in all hospital or not they got back to the loft and they're ready to call it a night because finally they had made it through and it was over and then it was like uh they Almost made it through. They almost saw that the night was over when they see Cece and Coach having a super hot makeout sesh on the side of the building. Which, what? Why in the alleyway on the side of the building? I'm like, that's outside Dave's house. You can't make out there. <laughs> Who invited you? Dave did not. So I. <laughs> I don't know. I thought that moment was a really sweet moment, though. Like, it was not sweet for Coach and CC per se, but a sweet moment for Jess and Schmidt because Jess is like, just own up to it. And he really did and said, I'm not fine. I'm not OK.
0: Yeah, I think Jess is holding him accountable for a lot of this. I mean, even earlier when she sees him on the side of the road and he wants to go, she tells him, you can't like you messed up you lost your shot and you need to do this for her to let her go and I feel like they had some really good moments together in this car and throughout this episode and it ends with Schmidt watching through his hands because they waited out and it's been a half hour and Jess is just sitting there eating all the chocolate and so Schmidt but like they're just sitting there eating this fancy sorry I cheated on you don't sleep with my best friend chocolate while they're watching the two of them make out on the side of the building. And for their sakes, I hope it didn't go on much longer.
1: Yeah, a half hour at that point is way too long to be standing on the side of a building making out. And a half hour is way too long for Jess and Schmidt to still be sitting in the car watching them. I did love the continuity, though, still with these chocolates, like you said. They're (laughs) they're just munching on these pretty chocolates.
0: And Coach and Cece is the other pairing that is going on throughout this whole episode because Coach asks Cece out and Cece says yes. I'm so surprised by that in its entirety because the last episode, he tried to be cool and ask her out and she just shut him down and walked out because he was not doing a good job. And I know we get an explanation from Cece of like why she said yes because they both had been through breakups. But still to me, I was so – confused by the fact that they were going on a date
1: for me coach was asking schmidt like are you cool with this but to me i was like is coach himself cool with this i'm like one you live in schmidt's room now and you're wanting to hook up and be with the girl that schmidt has been in a relationship with and not just like a hookup like a relationship and had many hookups in that exact room. I get that coach thought she was just really pretty. But then what I also didn't get about coach is that he was getting over a breakup as well. But he was very clearly only interested in Cece for her looks and to hook up with her. Because that whole little banter that they had where like Schmidt ended up hyping coach, all coach was talking about with her is like how nervous he was because she was pretty and how at the end he was going to put it on her and make it all happen i don't know i just thought eh, i wasn't very impressed with coach
0: i think it was more about her being pretty than anything else i think the rest of it was kind of a hype up in front of his male friends and that's why he was like i'm gunning it and all the stuff and i i don't really buy into that too much because coach through the whole episode was so nervous and was such a douche that someone should have had the douchebag jar around and pointed to him for it the whole episode. And your point about him sleeping in the same room as Schmidt, I don't know if CeCe and Coach continue to be a thing, but if they do and they get to a point where CeCe is back in Coach's room for any reason, that's got to be so weird for her too. I can understand that Coach would still be okay being with CeCe, even if Schmidt was, but CeCe being with Coach – In Schmidt's old room has got to be so much more weird than anything else. So much.
1: But to be fair, as well, Jess did have an amazing line that slightly objectified Coach, where she's like, wait, that's so good for Cece. Coach is super hot. (laughs) And then she realized (laughs) who she was talking to Schmidt, who was pining over Cece, and Nick, her own boyfriend, (laughs) who she shouldn't be talking about hot guys in front of. And she even says, wrong crowd. I see that now.
0: <laughs> yeah, poor Jess. I feel like she doesn't get enough of that kind of interaction at the loft because Cece's not there. But it's also weird that Cece keeps dating Jess's friends like Schmidt. There was like a weird tension with Winston. There's also Coach now. It's it's all a little weird.
1: It is. I thought that too a little bit, and then I was trying to think back. I'm like, is that all CC's been with? And then I'm like, well, no. She did have uh, Kyle, I think his name was, from uh, the Christmas party a couple seasons ago, and had some other boyfriends or at least hookups here and there. That I'm like, well, CC gets around to different people. We just don't see it as much because it's not one of the loft mates.
0: That's fair. We did get to see Robbie quite a bit,
1: who we both loved. So at least there was one notable boyfriend. I think that's who I was trying to think of was... Oh, Robbie. Oh, Robbie's not Kyle. Okay, just kidding.
0: Kyle was also her boyfriend. He was a <laughs> model in the Christmas episode. So you're still right.
1: Okay. There's, see, there's many. There's too many to keep track of. I like totally spaced on who Robbie was. I was like, who was Robbie? But no, I love Robbie. So that's my own bad. But yeah, so it's not, it's not all her friends. But yeah, it is a little weird that like Coach is back and now she's trying to get with him. But then it was cute how... He shows up at her door and he, (laughs) and he can't keep it together because he looks at her and is just like, you look this and is like holding up his thumbs up. And you're just like, okay, that's a little bit of a sweet moment. Like you're really nervous and you don't know what to say to her and you are trying to compliment her. And my favorite to me was that earlier when like he and Schmidt were going back and forth and getting hyped up. Schmidt's like, you're the prize. And so now even in this moment, he's like, What was I doing? Like, what the heck? You're the prize. You're the prize. <laughs> like, it's it's okay. Like, don't have imposter syndrome, essentially. He needed a lot of hyping
0: up, though, to get to a good place, and he doesn't really get to keep it because at the basketball game, he buys her so much merch, insists on buying her seven pretzels when she doesn't want any. Honestly, we don't really even feel like he has the money for this to be able to buy all of this merch. Like everything is so upcharged at games like this.
1: It really is. And he is actively sharing with Nick in the last episode how he like wants to train people again and basically needs a job again. And so it's a funny situation for Coach. He is trying to like bring her on the state and like, try to show her, okay, like, look, I have this money, but then it's all even like wadded up dollars, which you're like, okay, coach, like you're being a little cringy right now. But then he got even more and more and more cringy and honestly douchey of just like, well, let me get my phone out and let me just like text somebody. And I thought CC was, it was really big of CC in that moment to like be straight on with him and say, Hey, if you have someone else you want to be with, Go be with that person. And I'm like, yes, because Cece is just getting over being cheated on, which coach should know at this point, like knowing that he even had to go to Schmidt means that he knows what had happened, that they were together, that they're not together now and probably why that I'm like, yes, coach, if you're trying to do anything to be cooler, even though it's the wrong thing, like this is the absolute wrong thing because you're just going to make Cece think that there's someone else and she's gonna get cheated on again
0: I honestly didn't even read into that on the episode but you're 100% right but I think that in this moment coach can't even see any of that because you see him in these moments when Cece not looking having like true vulnerability of like I can't tell is she having fun she's not having fun I'm not doing good enough and just like forcing himself into this persona and I appreciated like you said that she was straight on with him and then I also appreciated that she didn't just sit there and take the whole date like she knew this was not what she wanted to be with and she was able to get up and leave and then we got to see what I feel is like the real coach like someone who I would actually want to be friends with someone I would want to see on my screens we've talked about that since coach has been back it's been kind of hit or miss or whether his character really feels authentic and I feel like this is the authentic coach and I am really excited and hope we get to see way more of him in this format.
1: Yeah, I think that's going to be the type of coach that we're all going to just like better as the audience. But then I will say, I guess, just to kind of wrap up how the last thing we see of them, while it was from the perspective of Jess and Schmidt watching them make out, I definitely kind of thought that their storyline from what we saw ending with them making out on the side of the building was kind of a weird thing. I feel like it would have been much more natural that after that moment, we just see them back in their seats watching the end of the basketball game and not necessarily making out and for 30 minutes or whatnot. Like I kind of thought that moved pretty quickly for having a not very big connection after being upset at each other or like CeCe being upset at him.
0: I just think that they kind of both want something a little less serious, but like a little more committed. I don't know how that would kind of work because Cece just almost got married to the wrong guy. And then her boyfriend that she left her fiance for was cheating on her. Like, I feel like she also needs and wants something more simple. So that's probably why they ended up making out. But It also felt a little bit out of character of why they were just there, why they didn't go to her place where they would have no chance of running into Schmidt. It was really just there to show us that Schmidt's ready and willing and starting to move on or going to try to at least. And
1: from that perspective, it was good closure.
0: And with that, we get to our most likely to segment, which is where Kelly and I come up with questions of something that happened in the episode, and we ask each other who of us would be most likely to do that thing. So Kelly, which one of us would be most likely to tell another friend that you're okay with something when you're really not?
1: I'm debating if it's me or if it's both of us, (laughs) but I think it might be me but it's also both of us.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. For me, I was literally thinking the same thing. I was like, I'm definitely answering me. But if Kelly says herself, then I'm going to say both because I know I have and would do this.
1: Yeah. I mean, in certain situations, I feel I'm very open about being like, okay, I'm not okay. Like, actually, please help me. And I think that the situation that Schmidt is in is the situation where I would be like, no, this is not okay. And I probably would have gone back to coach and been like, you know, maybe not. But then went to Jess and been like, we still can find her someone else to date. Just maybe not coach who's going to be in, not my apartment anymore because I moved out, but in my apartment yeah, <laughs> with her all the time. Like that would have been really hard. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see where the next couple episodes take us. For sure. But Kritika, who of us would be more likely to hit someone with their car when asked. So this
0: is another one where I'm going to say neither of us, but also both of us. (laughs) (laughs) My actual answer is neither of us. But if one of us were to do this, I feel like we both would do it the exact same way.
1: Like, I think this is something that we would be on the same page for. I agree we'd be on the same page for, but I think I don't agree that it would be both of us. I think it would be neither of us. I think I would, I would definitely hard not do that at all. I'd be like, we're going to find a different way. (laughs) I'll tie you to the seat chair before I'll hit you with the car. (laughs) All right,
0: Kelly, which one of us do you think would be more likely to shower with their cat?
1: Ew. (laughs) It's an easy one. Neither of us, right? Yeah, neither. Oh, <laughs> I, I was going to say it's not me because fun fact about me, I've never had a pet. I did have a pet goldfish, I guess, once, but only for a couple months because then I killed it. So that's a different story, but unintentionally killed it. Let me preface. <laughs> but even to have like a cat or a dog with you while you go to the bathroom, I like in the bathroom, bathroom space shouldn't be not be shared with others that's a special place
0: (laughs) yeah I mean I definitely answer neither as well I also don't have pets but even if I did I think this would be a very very hard line I would draw and I imagine that when Winston said this and this maybe isn't true that he was like in the shower with the cat not that Ferguson was in the bathroom and he was in the shower but either way it, it felt like an intentional choice by Winston and neither of us would do that (laughs)
1: just know. All right. And Kritika, which one of us would be more likely to forget all sense of sentence composure and not know how to act in front of a date? Both of us. Although I think it's an interesting situation since both of us are in such long-term relationships. I'm like, I don't even remember what it would be like to be on a date.
0: true. But I feel like if we were both single right now and trying to date kind of in the same situation where you got out of a long relationship or you got out of a relationship, we would both not do well. I mean, I guess that is
1: very true. I would, <laughs> I'd, I, think I would just avoid the dating. I'd be like, I don't even know what to do. <laughs> well, that wraps up our most likely two. Hopefully that was fun for you all this episode. But now we're going to take a short little break before we get back with our Schmittism. Yeah. With our Schmidtism, where we are going to recap the scene that Jess hits Schmidt with her car, per Schmidt's request. So, Schmidt will be played by Kritika, and Jess will be played by me. I also know that in about 30 seconds,
0: I will run away again, and this time I will lose you. I'll go down alleys, I'll cut across parks, I will live in the shadows. Just slithering, lurking, trolling the darkness. (sighs) Jess, there's only one way for you to stop me. Well, I'll do it, whatever it is.
1: Hit me with your car. What? No, no. It's the only way for you to stop me. No, that's crazy, Schmidt.
0: Come on, Jess. Now do it. I deserve it. I cheated on your best friend. I tried to break up you and Nick. No. It's the gas. No. Jess, you do this or I'm going to run. I don't want to. I'm going to give you to the count of three. No, I don't want to. Three,
1: two. Schmidt. Do it for Cece. For whom? Ah, oh my God. What the hell was that? You told me to hit you with the car. You freaking just hit me with your vehicle. You asked me to. I didn't didn't think you were really going to do it. I barely tapped you. These are my favorite utility khakis. Well, then don't tell me to hit you with my car if you don't want me to hit you with my car. You're out of control. Whoop, whoop. Please come. (laughs) Sound effects, also by me.
0: (laughs) I cannot believe that this scene happened. I'm so grateful that everyone's safe but also that the scene happened because it was so so funny to watch this whole exchange between Jess and Schmidt
1: I also loved how Jess's voice ended up almost sounding like the Seinfeld stereotypical Seinfeld voice which I did try to reenact for you but one other fact about me is that I'm terrible at accents but Jess sounded more like Seinfeld in the episode if you hear that back
0: And with that, we're getting to our in the 2020 section. So for our not in the 2020s, the major one that stood out to us was Coach and Schmidt in the beginning when they were talking about date that thing, the thing being CeCe, and just in general, Coach's overall comments around CeCe, we just felt like every time that he was trying to be cool, it was just cringy. And like Kelly mentioned, there's a lot of cringy moments in this episode, but especially being the not in the 2020s, the way coach approached his attitude
1: towards dating Cece. Another not in this episode for in the 2020s was a little bit of a lighter one, but kind of funny of the concept of just showing up at a stranger's house and going inside and eating their food, kind of like what happened with Winston and Nick. I feel like in today's 2020s, people are very, millennials especially, are very reluctant to answer their doors and let anyone in their homes. (laughs) Even when you order food delivery services, you have the option to just have your food delivered and not even have your doorbell rung. And I just think it's a very unique thing that even though they were picking up their cat, to actually go and like go in and like meet the person who got the cat is is maybe not so common as much these days. However, for the yes in the 2020s, what we did call out as a yes moment was Coach being vulnerable. As much as Coach had his awkward phrasing and not so great phrasing with how he approached and talked to CeCe, he did have good moments of getting very vulnerable and also just times where he pepped himself up and told himself, you're the prize. So thought that those were really good Things to be in the 2020s,
0: and as we think about our pop culture references, this episode, as always, all of our references that we catch, we put up on our website at smallscreenchatter.com, as well as on our show notes, which can be found wherever you're listening to this today. But the first one we wanted to talk about today was Grey's Anatomy, and this comes up when Birdie is telling Winston and Nick that she'd rather stay home and watch Grey's with their hamster than to go out and chase men. Grey's Anatomy is a television show that started in 2005 and it revolves around the doctor Meredith Grey played by Ellen Pompeo and it starts out when she's first an intern but this show which I actually do watch is in season 18 right now so she's still on the show and it's followed her subsequent full career on the show and exploring the ups and downs of her life as a surgeon but then also of a number of different actors. So when the show first started, it had nine star-billed actors, and of those nine, three are actually still there at the start of the 18th season that are from the original cast. And the thing about Grey's Anatomy is that there is really so much change in the cast season to season or every couple seasons. And so we get to see a lot of different relationships form, a lot of different surgery cases, and and things that have really kept the show on for so long. And while it is still one of the highest rated shows in the 18 to 49 demographic and number three drama in all of broadcast television in the United States, it has had moments where its ratings have fallen over the course of its run. But it's also spun off a web series, two spinoff shows, Private Practice, which ran from 2007 to 2013, and Station 19, which started in 2018 and is still ongoing. And it's honestly this cultural phenomenon. Like it has been running for so long. It's already renewed for its 19th season. And it's actually TV's longest running medical drama. But I was super excited to see all of this because I just thought it was so cool that they referenced it on the show. Like, I mean, I know we've seen other TV references, but this one, my ears definitely perked up because I've been watching Grey's Anatomy for a long time.
1: And I, on the other hand, have not watched Grey's Anatomy for a long time. I have seen one season kind of in the middle of these 18 seasons. But what I did find very interesting when learning more about the show for this episode is that the title Grey's Anatomy is actually a reference to a famous anatomy book, Grey's Anatomy of the Human Body by Henry Grey. So that's where the show's title comes from. But then Also, every episode of the show is named with a song title by a popular artist, and several are named after a Beatles song or a REM song. So that also was fascinating. The other pop culture reference that we are going to share about in this episode is Drake, who was mentioned when Coach said to Cece, I want to put some Drake on and get up on you. A little cringy, but. Understandable why Drake is his pick, because Drake, whose birth name is Aubrey Drake Graham, is a Canadian rapper, singer, songwriter, and actor, and he originally gained recognition by starring as the character Jimmy Brooks in the CTV drama Degrassi, The Next Generation. Drake, though, started pursuing a career in music after he released his debut mixtape, Room for Improvement, in 2006. He released his first debut studio album, Thank Me Later, in 2010, which debuted at number one on the U.S. Billboard 200. Drake is known as one of the world's best-selling music artists. He has sold over 170 million records and is ranked as one of the highest certified digital singles artists in the U.S. by the Recording Industry Association of America. Understandably, with all of this success, he's won four Grammys, 29 Billboard Music Awards, six American Music Awards, and many other music awards. As Drake is so popular, one notable thing that has been established by Washington Post editor Mora Judkis is that they credit Drake for popularizing the phrase YOLO when he had his single, The Motto. And one other piece that has made him very popular in pop culture is that he was in a on-again, off-again relationship with Rihanna from 2009 to 2016, and has mentioned her in the relationship they had in every one of his studio albums.
0: Even though I know how popular of a singer Drake is, something that really surprised me is that he had 54 top 10 singles, 258 most charted songs and the most continuous time on the Hot 100 for 431 weeks for his song Best I Ever Had, which I do love, so maybe I kind of get why it was up for over a year, but still, that is intense and so crazy that he's had so many songs. I do love that song as well. And for our guest stars this episode, we are not going to be talking about Nakia Baris, who was the beaming woman, Joel Gelman, who played Officer Bill, or Carly Casey, who plays Kate, but we did want to touch a little bit on Jessica Chafin, who plays Birdie, and we know Jessica from shows like Big Mouth and Zoe 101, and movies like Goodwill Hunting and Pitch Perfect 3, but she's also been in shows like Hacks, which the season two is starting pretty soon, Abby's, Search Party, Episodes, Beep, and Man with a Plan, and movies like The Heat spy and ghostbusters
1: jessica is also a regular performer with the upright citizens brigade that is based out of los angeles that one of our past guest stars matt besser actually helped co-found which is kind of a cool connection but then in the upright citizens brigade jessica met one half of her successful comedy team jamie denbow with the skit that they have Rana and beverly where in December 2009, the comedy pilot Rana and Beverly, based on their UCB stage show, aired on Showtime. They later hosted a podcast, Rana and Beverly, on the Earwolf Network from 2011 to 2017, where they interviewed celebrity guests and interacted with one another as these characters. And more recently, in November 2019, Jessica premiered a new podcast called Ask Rana, where she, again, appears as her character, Rana, and focuses on sharing advice and responding to questions from listeners.
0: And getting to our trivia and fun facts section, one thing that super stood out to us about this episode is that CeCe and Coach went to go see an LA Sparks game. And we actually saw that there were people on the court playing, they were wearing yellow and purple colors and they mentioned the team specifically in the episode. But the part that stood out to us is, one, the LA Sparks are actually a real team in the WNBA. And two, we met Winston's sister last season, and she plays for the LA Sparks in the WNBA. So if they are playing, why is Winston not at this game with them or getting them better seats or like doing something? Like there's no mention of Winston's sister in this episode because they just kind of threw her in earlier and I guess just forgot about her.
1: I think the writers hard forgot that they wrote this backstory in for Winston's sister (laughs) playing for the LA Sparks that that is the game that they chose to go to. I originally had a moment where I'm like, oh, like that's definitely not the Los Angeles NBA men's basketball teams because there are two, the LA Clippers and the LA Lakers, which the Lakers share the purple and yellow. But as called out, they were actually at the women's basketball LA Sparks team. Another fun find in this episode was another reference to the TV show Homeland that Nick suggested Nick and Jess watch on their date night This is at least the third reference now to Homeland in the TV show New Girl, and we do a little bit more of a deeper dive into the protagonist, Abu Nazir, in season two, episode 15, and then to the show overall in season two, episode 18 of our podcast.
0: And the last piece of trivia that we just wanted to quickly mention on this episode is we did like a deep dive on a trivia section earlier this season about all the cars in the episodes and whether there was actually a car traded in Mexico or not. And we talked about a red car with flames on it. And we get to see Jess driving that today because she's driving the car from Mexico. And it was just really cool to see this continuity because sometimes, like with the LA Sparks, we see that new girl kind of misses it, but it's really cool that they kept it up with the car for this episode.
1: And lastly, on our bear tracker for this season Neither Kritika or I saw the bear in this episode. We did not hear about a bear in this episode, and there wasn't even a loose reference to something like the bears, as in the Chicago bears. So if it was found in this episode by you, let us know, because we would like to know and keep track.
0: On this episode's rating, we saw that IMDb gave this episode a 7.5 out of 10, and there was 3.26 million viewers in the U.S. when this aired. I gave this episode a 7 out of 10. I know we harped on a lot of things that were cringy in this episode, but there was also such good humor and I was entertained through all of it, even if I was cringing through some of it. So this was a 7 out of 10 for me.
1: I also gave this episode a 7 out of 10. And yeah, like you, there was cringy moments. There was parts I didn't care for. But really what kept it a little bit higher was the whole storyline with Jess and Schmidt because that to me ended up being really the golden area of this episode and just the silly physical drama that they had, which leads me to my favorite character being Jess, because I just really liked how she was honestly just like being a team player put into a situation where she maybe didn't want to do the thing. She didn't think she could do the thing, but eventually helped Schmidt from getting... To Cece and also sticking up for her friend the whole episode. So I was here for Jess. And my favorite character was Schmidt. I
0: just found Max Greenfield's portrayal of Schmidt this episode to be captivating. I felt like he had so many good jokes, and I just really enjoyed getting to see Schmidt in this episode. So he was my favorite character.
1: But that really wraps up everything but our spoilers this episode. We always appreciate you taking your time to listen to our podcasts, hear our thoughts on this episode of New Girl. And we also want to hear your thoughts on it. So reach out to us on Instagram or Twitter at Who's That Girl Pod, or send us an email with what you thought about Winston showing up at Bertie's house to Who's That Girl Pod at gmail.com. But now, you know, we get into our spoiler section. So if you don't want to hear anything more about the series, feel free to pause. And if you do, we'll see you again for the next episode. You have five more seconds before the spoilers start. All right, our spoiler section where we start off with our in-game couples. So first up is Jess and Nick. And in this episode, it was a little tricky for me to rate them. Yes, Jess let it slip something about getting married. Oh, we'll date when we're married, which was a huge moment, honestly. Like, who knew that little spoiler was included now? (laughs) But other than that quote, I ended up giving them a 7 out of 10, and partly because i was a little sad and maybe too sad that they didn't get to do their date night and they got torn apart by their friends and i'm a little worried in a way that nick is too easily choosing others over jess in his relationship
0: that's incredibly insightful and actually made me drop my rating just slightly just even hearing that because I was going to give them a 9.5 and I gave them a 9 after what you just said because I do think that but I also feel like they're at the stage where they're so comfortable with each other that they know that they can do more with other people and that there's such a good place that Nick didn't freak out that she said married like that gives me so much hope for them so That brings our rating together to an 8 out of 10, which feels pretty good. For Schmidt and Cece, I gave them a 2 out of 10. And I know they didn't really have scenes together. And I know that in this episode, Schmidt watches Cece making out with Coach. But everything about the situation just makes me feel like it's not over. Like it's a temporary
1: setback for them. So I gave them a 2. I'll be persuaded to a 2. I gave them a 1. But I'm good with the two, because, yeah, I think that's fair that the way that the script is written right now does seem like this is not going to go away and it's still going to be something that comes up. I think one thing, too, just as a side note that got really glossed over in this whole thing is that once Schmidt had neither girlfriend, he very easily chose Cece and they very quickly made that part of the plot again.
0: And he always chose Cece. The only reason Elizabeth was still in the picture is she was there first. Like there was no reasoning behind Elizabeth.
1: He just wasn't in a place I think to be in that healthy relationship with Cece. And we needed drama. But then for the douchebag tracker this episode, I did try to make sure that my thoughts on Coach did not come into my thoughts on Schmidt's douchiness. But Schmidt was a little bit douchey in this episode. So I ended up giving him a 6.5 out of 10.
0: I also gave him a 6.5 out of 10. <laughs> I think that's so great. We are in sync. <laughs> yeah. It's so great that we're completely in sync on this because I had the exact same reasons. I did feel like if we start at five and work our way up or down and 10 is that douchebag, then 6.5 kind of put as to where he wanted to do more, but then he was so vulnerable in this episode and he didn't reach CC. but if he had, I
1: know that would have been a much higher rating. It most likely would have. The last uh, spoiler that we have from this episode is now that Birdie is introduced, she actually becomes Winston's girlfriend for the remainder of the season. Unfortunately, in my opinion. <laughs> there's there's a little bit more to be desired uh for winston and his relationships but we at least did now get to see this character introduced and with that we just wrapped up
0: episode nine of season three of who's that girl and kelly and i want to just take a moment and thank everyone who's made it this far with us we love to hear your feedback so as kelly mentioned earlier Give us your thoughts on this episode, give us your thoughts in our podcast, and give us a rating and leave comments in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this now. And you can always reach out to us on email at who's that girl pod at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at Who's That Girl Pod. And we love to hear from you. So please reach out and we hope to see you back next time for episode 10. Thanks. Bye.